Well, I trust you're glad to be here this morning. I, I don't know what it is, but when it's kind of gloomy outside, sometimes that seems to me to be the best time to worship. It just seems like God is really close. My, uh, my favorite movie of all time is Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, and I think it's because I grew up in, in the midst of a whole lot of people who had immigrated uh, Jewish people that had immigrated from Russia. And of course, that's what the story of Fiddler on the Roof is about. And uh, the fiddler is trying to tell you two things. First of all, tradition is very important. Tradition is what glues people together and communities together. Uh, but the other thing is that uh, tradition's rather fragile. It's like a fiddler on the roof, uh, and it can fall off. That's the whole point of the story. We, in our Thanksgiving, we have a tradition. It's our third year tradition, so it's not a long one. Uh, but after we eat the meal and before we have the pumpkin pie, uh, we go around the table and everybody um, tells what they're thankful for after I preach about a three-minute sermon. And uh, this uh, year was our best year because the first year, well, we had 22 people to start out with, so it takes a little while to do this. But the, the first uh, uh, year, just a few people spoke. Now, I, I tell them, you don't, you, know, you don't have to speak. Don't get too nervous about this tradition. You, you can just say, I pass, and that's a testimony too. And uh, so uh, the first year, a lot of people passed. Last year, just a couple passed. And this year, nobody passed. Even the children wanted to say something about what they were thankful for. They were thinking about these things. That's my point. Think about these things. And that really is what Paul is talking about here in our text this morning. You'll find it in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 8 and 9. This is the Word of God. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let us respond to God's word together. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now, the most important word in the Bible when it's talking about you and who you are is your heart. Uh, the word heart appears about 850 times in the Bible. That's a lot of times. And most of the time, it's not, thinking, it's not talking about that pump, you know, right here in the middle of your chest. It's talking about who you are, you know, where your thinking comes together and your emotions and your uh, experiences and your spiritual life, and you could go on and on. I don't think we really can even list all the things that make up who you are, but they all come together in a metaphysical way uh, in this concept in the Bible called the heart. But the Bible also talks about another thing that's very important. In fact, it's part of your heart, and I say it's the control center, if you will, for your heart, and that is your mind. And that word appears in the Bible 450 times, your mind. And that's what Paul is talking about here. 
And, and what I think he's telling us is that what goes into your mind, what you think about is mighty important. We live in a culture where we're kind of obsessed about what goes into our bodies, you know. And so you can read about diets and you can read about medicine that you can take and uh, all kinds of other things. And, and people are just thinking that if they get the right thing going in, they'll live forever. I mean, that's sort of the way it, it, it seems to me. We maybe should be more obsessed about what goes into our minds. Think about these things. We live in a world that's the real world. We call that objective world. We also live in another world. We actually live a whole lot more in that world, and that is the subjective world. That's our interpretation of the real world. It's the only really world we know, and it does direct our lives and control our lives in a great way. I, I had experience of working with a man. He's the smartest man I ever knew. In fact, uh, he had an absolute photographic memory. I taught with him. He was my boss, actually, and uh, he never had to have any notes. He could lecture. He could actually lecture for two weeks without stopping, and it would have all been word for word because he literally had all of it in his mind. It, it was unbelievable. When he was 21 years old, he was the principal of a high school in Mississippi, and uh, that high school had an awful lot of important people. In fact, uh, the um, debate team actually uh, one year won the um, national championship uh, for debate. Now, Marianne Mobley, who became Miss America, she was part of that debate team. That probably didn't hurt him any. Uh, but uh, uh, I would talk to him about things, and he, he would be so d- discouraged. He, he, he felt like uh, he really wasn't measuring up. He he felt like he wasn't, you know, quite smart enough. And I would say to him, how in the world can you feel like that? And I would list all his achievements, and I would even think about, wow, I wish I had a pedigree like that, you know. And uh, he'd say, yeah, but I'm worried that someday people are going to wake up and figure out who I really am. And 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 you see what I'm saying? I mean, the objective world, from our point of view, looking at him, we, we were just blown away by this man. I mean, all of his students just loved him and, 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 uh, and, and, and almost worshipped him. But he didn't see that. He, di- he didn't live in that world. He lived in this world where he didn't measure up. He didn't quite get there. How can that be? Well, the world you live in is the world up here, not the world out there. It's your interpretation of the world out there. And what Paul is saying here is that we're always interpreting the real world. And what we think about it and how we respond to it in our minds is how we live. While I was preparing this sermon, I got a call from a dear, dear friend who I already knew had been diagnosed with cancer, but he hadn't gotten the results yet for the PET scan to see whether or not it had spread and become metastatic and so on. And... uh, he was nervous about that. Of course he would be. And he called me that particular day because that was the day he was supposed to get the results. Well, you know how it is sometimes with medicine and so on. Uh, there are hang-ups and all, and he wasn't going to get it for the next day. And so he said, you know, I'm nervous, but on the other hand, I also have a lot of confidence. Not confidence in what the report is going to say, but rather, as we've already 
read in 121 of this book, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever happens, God is going to be there. Or chapter 3, verse 20, we've seen that our citizenship is not of this world. And so he had this confidence and this assurance, even though he didn't have the report yet. Why? Because that's what he had up here. That's where he was living. That was the things that he was sticking into his mind. And here's the really good news, I think, of this passage. You can't control everything out there. (laughs) But you can control what's up here. You can control how you think about it, how you interpret it, and how you react to it. Remember last week uh, in the text where we were talking about don't be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, bring these things to God. And what does it say? The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the promise that we have in Scripture. Now, controlling your thinking is not an easy thing, let's face it. Um, There are those who are absolutely stuck in this world. If we go back to 319, that's the verse just before, but our citizenship is in heaven. What does it say? Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Why? With minds set on earthly things. So, to control our minds, to to think biblically and to think properly, uh, we've got to focus on God and on the gospel and not on worldly things as those do who reject God. Um, The enemy of our soul wants to control our minds. And... um, You remember that chapter 4 of Philippians is the transition chapter. The first three are telling you the facts about the gospel, and this chapter is telling you then how to respond to the gospel. And uh, there's another book in the Bible, of course, Romans, and the transition chapter for that book is chapter 12. There are 11 chapters telling you what is the gospel and what does it mean to be in the Lord Jesus Christ and Then you have chapters 12 and following that tell you how to live in the gospel. And chapter 12 introduces that section of Romans with this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is a good and acceptable prophet. So, that Paul is telling us there two things. First, present your bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, live as a Christian. But then he's saying, think also like a Christian. Don't be pressed into the world's mold. J.B. Phillips translates that in his New Testament uh, translation, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Actually, the, the Greek word there in Romans 12, 2 is 
uh, a word that is used in baking and so on and, and all. Don't, don't let things, don't let the world press you into a mold. Don't let them stamp you out like everybody else. But let your mind be transformed by God. Don't let this sinful, fallen world fill your mind. Rather, let the gospel, let the gospel fill your mind. As I said, this is not easy. And it's not easy in our uh, um, age at all. Uh, Blaise Pascal, if you know of him, he's, he was a French philosopher and mathematician. He's the father of modern probability theory. Uh, so he was no slouch, but he was also quite a Christian. Uh, I love his testimony. Uh, he, he, you know, like everybody especially in those days when science was beginning to explode and so on, and many people were thinking, we don't need God and all. And he was wrestling with those things, and one day he was thinking about uh, Peter and about how Peter had rejected God or rejected Christ and denied him three times, and then Jesus came to him and embraced him and, and, and loved him. And he, he, he said, I, you know, I can't believe that Jesus would do that. And then he said it was like a flood that just came in upon him and he, all of a sudden he realized Jesus doesn't just love Peter. He, la- he loves Blaze. And he wrote that in his diary. How I am loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life was changed by that. But one time he wrote this. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. In other words... We have a hard time slowing down and thinking. And if he thought it was bad in 1650, uh, how much worse is it for us today? You know, we got these little things called cell phones, but they're more than cell phones. They have more power. They have more computing power than the computer, this enormous thing you can see in Huntsville that landed men on the moon. Uh, And it's binging all the time. Uh, in fact, I actually heard a testimony on the radio last week where a man said, you know, I've got a problem. When I'm reading my emails, I'm thinking to myself, I've got to read my emails. In other words, he's obsessing about the fact that I've got to get to my emails when, in fact, he's right in the middle of his emails. Our cell phones never stop bombarding us with stuff few years ago, well, quite a few years ago, actually, because I just married one of these young girls last Sunday, but when they were quite young, they were sitting in the back of the car, and uh, they had just gotten these new things called cell phones, and I was looking in the mirror and driving and so on, and I could see them back there just going like this, one on this side of the car and one on this other side of the car. So finally, I said to them, what are you all doing back there? And they said, well, we're texting. And I said, oh, well, who are you texting? Well, we're texting each other. (laughs) Blogs, emails, substacks, texts are all overloading, and it's tough to stop and think. Uh, But we need to. Think upon these things. That's what Paul says. And where do we start? If we really want to apply what Paul is saying here, where do we start? Well, remember again that this right here, 
this chapter is the transition chapter. And you remember the first verse preached on it a couple of weeks ago, therefore, my brothers. And I said to you, therefore means, remember chapters 1, chapters 2, chapters 3. And, and, and what Paul is saying again is, remember the gospel. Remember who Christ is. Remember what he's done. I don't know who said this. But somebody said, you ought to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Now, I've heard that this person said that first, and that person, I even heard Calvin said that. I don't know who said it, but it's good advice. The gospel ought to be at the center of your thinking every day, and you ought to preach it every day. Um, The primary secret of God's people is that very thing, that they know who God is, and he is the most important part of their cognitive life. The psalmist puts it this way in 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, and I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. Lamentations, another great passage which I'm sure many of you know, But the writer of Lamentations says this, But this I call to my mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. That's the kind of thinking that we need. That that God ought to be at the center of how we think and where we live each and every day. You could do no better than to really go through Philippians. I often do that every morning. I tell you, I've told you before, 1-6 is my good morning verse. I am confident of this, that he who began a good uh, work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Confidence in the Lord. Then if you go on to chapter 2, uh, it, t- it talks about how we ought to be humble. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourself. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, confidence in Christ, humility in Christ. And then, in the third chapter, you have this wonderful testimony from Paul where he says, if you think you got something to brag about, I've got more to brag about than you've got to brag about, but you know what? I count it all as nothing. It's all garbage. Actually, the word in the Greek, it's all garbage. Except I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that I might achieve to the resurrection of the dead. I've told you before, I think that is actually talking about this life here where we live in the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. I don't think it's talking about when we will be resurrected from the dead Uh, but rather the resurrected life we experience now. And then we've been looking at chapter chapter 4, the joy of the Lord. Rejoice the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Um, Remember, Christ is present at this time. The Lord is at hand is the way it actually says. You couldn't do any better than that, really, you know, if you want to begin to think daily about uh, who God is and what he's doing in your life, just this book. In fact, I have been trying to emphasize the fact that Philippians is a great book because it's like Romans, except it's not like Romans. Romans is a systematic theology book. This is telling you in an intimate way how Paul experienced 
the, uh, the gospel, how he experienced the theology. It's the living theology through the life of Paul that you can experience yourself. You know, Calvin wrote a hymn, Thou art the king of mercy and of grace, reigning omnipotent in every place. So come, O king, and our whole being sway, shine on us, shine on us with the light of this pure day. Now, Paul gives us a roadmap of how to do this. Uh, he goes on to say in this text uh, that um, we ought to think about those things which are pure and are lovely and commendable and so on. Uh, I like to condense those down into two things, really. As you begin to think about God and the gospel and what God is doing in your life, think about what is true and what is right. What is true and what is right. And there's never been a more important time to do that in now. I mean, we live in a world where things are upside down, where, where falsehood is true and true is false. You know that's the case. Boys can be girls. Girls can be boys. Criminals are the victims. The victims are the criminals. Uh, we got a government that thinks they can print money uh, and uh, they can print it forever and nothing's ever going to happen. And you wonder, how do people get like that? How can people think like that? Well, I want to tell you something. It's rather easy. All you got to do is put God out of the picture. If you put God out of the picture, you become... My wife says, I can't say this, but I'll say it anyhow. Um, if you put God out of the picture, you become stupid. Really. You see, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of knowledge. If you put God out... You don't have wisdom and you have knowledge. What you got is all, only what you have in your own mind. You see, without God, there is no absolute truth. We as Christians believe in absolute truth, but there's only one reason we believe in absolute truth, because we believe in God. I mean, think about it. Suppose there's just you and me. We're the only two people on this planet, and God doesn't exist. And I have an idea, and you have an idea, and I say, well, my idea is better than your idea. And you say, no, your idea, my idea is better than your idea. Now, how do we solve that problem? We can't, because my idea is my idea, and I think it's pretty good. And your idea is your idea, and you think it's pretty good. But we need some, something above us. We need something greater in us, right? There has to be somebody who establishes what is really true, that is absolute truth, and the only person that can do that is God. Nietzsche, I'm sure you have at least heard of him, he's the father of nihilism. If you don't know what nihilism is, it's a philosophy that life makes no sense. There is no purpose to life. Now, I wonder how he got there. Well, it's simple, because his most famous phrase is, God is dead. If you believe God is dead, then in fact, life is meaningless. Life has no purpose. But if God exists, then there is truth, and we can think on that truth, and there is rightness, and we can live that rightness. We can live a righteous life. This is the whole point of what Paul is saying when he says, think on these things. I really think what he's saying is, when you think on these things, you've got to think on God 
You've got to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. I like the way Augustine put it, where I found truth, there was God, who is the truth itself. That's the whole point, right? Let me repeat that. Where I found truth, there was God, who is the truth itself. And that is the truth. If there is no God, there is no truth. But if there is a God, then there is absolute truth, whether we accept it or whether we reject it. You know, when we started this denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, the main reason we started, there were a bunch of reasons. But the denomination we were living in could no longer say one thing, that the Bible is an inerrant word of God. And there had been a lot of other things that we had objected to for a number of years, 20 years. And we had been arguing and trying to move our denomination more in in a, a biblical direction. But when the denomination could no longer say that the Bible is an inerrant word of God, we gave up. Why? Because you see, if you don't have this, you don't have any foundation. You don't have any, any way in which to say, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, this is what we believe, this is what we don't believe. It's that critical. And that's the reason why we started the PCA. Um, I read a story about George Washington Carver. You know, he's the peanut man. He told a story one time uh, where he said, uh, when I was young, I prayed to God and I said, God, teach me the mysteries of the universe. But God said to me, George, that's for me alone to know, not you. So I prayed again to God, and I said, well, then teach me the mysteries of the peanut. And God said to me, well, George, that's more your size. (laughs) It is. We're not going to know everything God knows, but we know God, the one who is absolute truth. And finally, and I'll do this very quickly, Paul, I think, gives us a test of whether or not our thinking is making any difference in our life. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, when you first read that, you think, wow, Paul is arrogant. I mean, Paul is going around saying, look at me, you know, follow me, look at my example. In fact, he does it twice. He does it in the third chapter as well, and in verse 17, he says the exact same thing. But I don't think that's what Paul is doing. Paul is just saying, listen, I know the Lord Jesus Christ. And because I know him, I know what is true and I know what is right. And by his mercy, I'm living it. And I want you to do the same. I want you to follow my example. That's, um, that's the test. The test of whether you're thinking right is are you living what is true and what is right? I actually read this this morning in my own quiet time. And isn't it interesting? That's what we call it, a quiet time. A time when we stop sometimes in the morning and just slow down and think. Like Paul says, think on these things. 
But this is a story. It's a, it's a Thanksgiving story. Uh, but it is the story of a pastor in Germany, Martin Rin, uh, Rinkart. Martin Rinkart. Uh, and he pastored in a tiny town in Germany that became a refuge uh, for people that were being displaced because of the 30-year war. The 30-year war, by the way, is a rather sad thing because it's Catholics and Protestants killing one another. But many people had fled, fled to his town. And so the town was overrun with people. They were running out of food and so on. And then the plague hit. On top of that, the plague hit. And he was the last pastor standing in the town. And he wrote a poem which was put to music. And uh, you probably know it. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, who wonders things is done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Now think about the context. Could you write a poem like that when you have all these refugees in your town and you can't even feed them, you can't feed your own congregation, you can't feed yourself? And then the plague hits on top of that. But he could. He could. Why? Because remember, you can't control what's out here, but you can control what is in here. He was living the gospel. He was thinking the gospel. And he was thinking about all of the things that he had in the Lord Jesus Christ. Life and strength and family and friendship and food and work and rest. Paul put it this way. In Acts chapter 17, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. But he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You know, as we sort of come to the close of a Thanksgiving time, think about all the things, and I mean that, think about all those things That's the message of this text. Think on the things that God has done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to pray and live like this. Father, send the Holy Spirit into my life. Teach me your truth so people see more of Christ in me than they see of me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I just want to repeat that prayer again because it sums up the text we have here. We need you to send your Holy Spirit into our lives to teach us the truth so that we can think about these things. So they are the things that fill our minds and control our hearts. And do it in such a way that people will see more of Christ in us and less of us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.